So we're in part two of the worship experience, the beauty of worship. Here's a scripture that I want you to consider. By all means, make notes because worship is not what you do here necessarily. It is somewhat, but it's what you want to govern your life. So you want to take the understanding of worship. And I think I heard Richard say this, no praise team, no music. Maybe he was in my message last week. That's not really what drives the worship, if you know what I mean. What drives it, these are the supplementary things. Of course, we need them. But what drives our worship is the relationship we have with God. Without the relationship, the music is just that, music. It could be great, it could be terrible, that's all it is. The singing is just that, it's singing. The relationship is that critical piece that allows you to take worship out of this place and bring it anywhere you want it to go. And I would argue that that's what God wants more than anything. He doesn't want worship that's absent of a relationship. Because he doesn't understand that. But what he wants worship to be, the outflow of a relationship. And so I'm going to take you through, listen to what the Bible says. Here's our our scripture for today, Psalm 96. And when you go to the 95th, 96th, 97th, 98th, 99th, these are called the kingship psalms. So these are songs that focus on the fact that the Lord is king, he reigns, let the earth rejoice. These are all the kingship songs. And these are the songs that talk to us about the beauty of worship. Listen to this. Give unto the Lord all the kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory. Give unto him your strength. You can't make him any stronger, but you can certainly be strong toward him. Give unto him glory. Give unto him strength. Look at this. Give unto the Lord the glory that is due unto his name. That is not a text just to be run by quickly. It presupposes that we need to spend time understanding What exactly is rightfully due to God? So there is a knowing of God that makes worship powerful. You cannot worship him whom you don't know. Agreed? Jesus said to the woman, you worship, you know not. Worship is a particular knowledge quotient. He says, bring an offering and come into his courts. Remember I told you last week, don't come before God at any point empty. That could mean even at your home, at your bedside. Don't go before him and say, God, I need, God, I need, God, I need. Rather go before him and say, God, you are, God, you are, God, you are. And as you begin to tell him what he is and what he means to you, at some point, he begins to release the answers of what you need. Come into his courts. Now here's, here's, here's the other verse. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and fear before him all the earth. Let's talk a little bit about worship for a moment. Last week we said this, didn't we say this? We said that we enter his courts with thanksgiving, we enter his gates rather with thanksgiving, into his courts we come with praise. So on the count of three, ready? On the count of three, I want you to lift the highest, the most massive praise that you can. Ready? One, two, three. Shout to God. (laughs) Hallelujah! What that should do, that should catapult us closer to him. 
So now, remember this. The Bible is really talking about motion. Enter, come into, but don't stand there. Go toward. So your praise is taking you somewhere. This is what worship does. Worship invites us closer to God. Please hear what I'm saying. In other words, those who want to be intimate with God engage the process of worship. Worship for God is akin to, I'm going to say it like this, it's not crass. It's almost like sexual intimacy with God. That's why the terms in the Bible used for worship are the same terms used for sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. And Adam knew his wife, watch, and she conceived. And Paul says, oh, that I might know him. It's intimacy. It's interesting that the term again in the, in the Hebrew for no is yada. And the term for lifting one's hands in worship is yada. Because it's about intimacy. Worship invites us closer to God. That is why the writer says the closer you get to him, you've got to make sure that you're operating in the beauty of holiness. So God is not a kind of God that is just run up upon, if you know what I mean. He invites us through our praise into intimacy with him. Let me show you a few things that I want you to consider. Worship is the destination of praise. See what Richard was doing? He was, we were worshiping your great name. People were singing, but he wasn't there as a destination. He was going someplace. So we are trafficking in the spirit when we praise God. But it has a destination. We want to arrive somewhere every time we praise God. We just don't praise God in a circular sense. That's going around mountains. But we praise God because we want to go closer to him. Every every phrase I'm going to give you the scripture because I found last week that when you see the scripture, it becomes more, can I say, believable. Exalt the Lord our God and then watch Worship at his footstool. Gates take us to footstools. So you don't stand at the gate and say, hallelujah, hallelujah, and then go home. Where you want to go is the throne of God. That's why, you know, you've heard in the gospel uh, community, people talk about, let's go beyond the veil. In other words, we're moving somewhere in the spirit. Your spirit is going somewhere. Don't worry about your body. Your body might be standing right here, but your spirit is going somewhere. Where you want to end up is at his footstool. This is critically important. Let's go one step further. Watch. Worship invites us now down before our maker. I discovered this. Proud people cannot worship God. So what worship is doing is, it's actually, listen to this, putting us in our this is very important the high-minded the self-exalted generally cannot worship god because what worship does it invites us down remember we're going to his footstool later we're going to show you that one of the terms for worship shakan literally means to go down to prostrate kara means to bow there is a depressing of the spirit in god Worship puts me in my place. It tells me that I am man, he is God. I am son, he is father. And a good son should 
honor his father. So what worship does, it brings us down before our maker. That only makes sense because he is our God. It is he who hath made us, not we ourselves. So worship is evangelistic for my soul and for others watching because it tells people that I didn't get here by myself. Can I go one step further? And I certainly don't sustain myself. Someone is keeping me, and that's my maker. Here is the text, Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us worship. Come, everyone. And let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So watch, worship for God has to do with people going lower so that he can be made higher. See how that works? So our kneecaps should be familiar with worship. And the inability to bend the knees, it's the stiffening of pride. So watch, when you look at God in the Bible, when people come before him automatically, whether they be elders or angels, they begin to do things that go in a downward motion. And all the elders fell down and threw down and began to say some things. I will show you that even physically, from a posture standpoint, every now and then, the Holy Spirit is telling you, get down, get down, get down. Let's go a little further. Worship is also unique language. It's very, very unique. It is not just flippant language. It isn't just throwing out words. That's why worship is not, well, let me listen to what they said. I'll I'll repeat it. No, it's very unique language. It comes from a unique place. It originates in a very unique place. And it is on the lips of peculiar people. It's very, very unique. Watch this one I'm going to show you. Watch this. Watch this, everyone. Worship is the believer's love language for God. It's a language of love. And so when you love God, there's a particular language that's commensurate with that love. And so God listens for that unique, can I say this? That unique sound that comes through worship that tells him that I love him. I want to repeat that again. That unique sound that tells him that I love him. That unique sound that tells God, that tells God, watch, what does it tell God? I love the Lord because he hath heard my, oh my, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. It's a unique language. It's the language of love. If you love God, there's no way that you will not worship him. So it's the language of love. It's, it's a love language. Like Gary Chapman would say that in all relationships, there are different love languages. Well, in the, can I say, vertical divine human relationship, there's a love language. God listens for that. You'd be surprised how often the psalmist tells God that he loves him. Can I ask you a question? How often do you tell God not what you need, which is a paradox because he already knows what you need. How often do you tell God, I love you? Ask yourself that question. How often, course of a week, do I make it my duty to tell God, I love you, Lord? Uh, Well, he knows I love him. 
all right, he also knows what you need. So why do we, are we quick to remind him of what we need, but not to emphasize how much we love? I love you, Jesus. I love the Lord. Oh my. Hallelujah. Robert softly, like we're in heaven. I need everyone to take a moment. Maybe you haven't done this in a while. And just tell God, even online, I love you, Lord. I need you to make love to God right now in a spiritual sense. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. Lord, I love you. I love you because you first loved me. I love you because you've given your spirit unto me. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. Mm. Draw me after you. Let us run together. I will rejoice and you will be glad. He has brought me into his banqueting house. His banner over me was love. Not that we first loved him, but that he loved us. Greater love than this hath no man that a man laid down his life for his friend. I love you, God. Though the storms of life may be raging, I love you, God. Mm. I love you, Jesus. My love for God is steadfast. Hallelujah. I love you, God. Congregation, always let God know how much you love him. See, God knows my heart, but he wants to hear your voice. In the Song of Solomon, the man says, I want to see two things. I want to do two things. I want to see your face and I want to hear your voice. God desires that. Worship is also the believer's worth language. Remember I told you earlier that if you're going to worship God, it presupposes that you know and you're continuing to know what God is worth. The word worship comes to us in English, it's an old English term. It means, watch, worth script. That's how we get the word worship, worth script. It means worship is the writing of what God is worth. Think about that. How do you give to God when you don't know what he's worth? That's why most worship, it's, it should be biblically based. It should be based on what he's revealed about himself. It should be based on how glorious God is, how great God is, how holy God is, how merciful God is, how loving God is. So he will then tell us something like this. Psalm 29 verse 2. Give unto the Lord glory that is due unto his name. Got to know what God is worth. May I suggest to you, God is beyond price. God is priceless. If, if you take it like that, then you would understand. There's no screaming. There's no need to scream. Watch. Because God is priceless, that's why the writer says, I will bless the Lord all times. There's no price that I can put. There's no, there's no I've worshipped him enough today. 
I've given him all that he needs. Watch this. This may sound, um, you know, I, whatever, whatever the term is, but all eternity isn't sufficient to worship God. When Solomon dedicated the temple, you know what he said about God? He said, look at this thing. And it was magnanimous. In fact, historians have told us that Solomon's temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Solomon said, look at this house I built. But God, the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. So worship is about how much God is worth. What price can you put on God? That's what people say, well, well, watch this one, which is, again, never let these things get in your mind. We worship for 10 minutes. It's time to move on. That's crazy. If we worship God all day, it still wouldn't be sufficient to measure his worth. If you started speaking now and didn't stop speaking until next year, it still wouldn't be sufficient to capture how much God is worth. This is why, in my opinion, worship transcends my mouth. It is a function of my spirit that never stops. So even when I'm sleeping, if I'm connected to him, my spirit is always worshiping him. Are you following what I'm saying? So the hour comes now is when the Father seeketh true worshipers, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and according to his worth. My hands are tied. Are you serious? I've lifted my hands five times in the service. Pastor, please stop. We need to do something. It's kind of like years ago. Remember this? Years ago, because of the nature of the services, they were a little longer than this. So worship would be, let's say, an hour and a half. I had people come to me and say, "Um, we're going to come closer to the end of worship because we want the word. That sounds noble, doesn't it? But it's nonsensical. Because you can't eat from a God that you haven't worshipped. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there are people that are making a dichotomy. All that worship stuff. We just want the word to put it into practice. I would argue that your heart is not conditioned for the word. If it has not engaged worship. So please let us not say this thing. Watch. Never let these words come out of your mouth. Worship's too long. That means you don't know what God is worth. Let's worship. Here's where we talk about the worship forms now. I'm just going to do two of them. And there's many in the Bible. But I found two that I thought really stuck out to me. It's just a true statement I, I, I have here that I want you to see. Worship, when we really understand it, it's spirit to spirit communion. It's my spirit Connecting with his spirit, spirit to spirit. So the writer would say this, because the deepest place of who I am is my spirit. And the deepest being that exists is God. He would say this in Psalm 42, deep then calls unto deep. The deep things of God are wooing the deep things of my spirit. This is why when I truly engage worship, things begin to happen that I might not even understand today. Because they're happening in my spirit. They may be programmed to be manifested at a point in time. But they're happening in my spirit. I'll give you the scripture to think about. Then you'll realize how worship actualizes these things. Paul says, eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. Neither have it entered into the hearts of men. 
the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But he has revealed them unto us by the Spirit. So there's an interaction, my spirit, interacting with his spirit. The deepest thing that you and I can do is to worship. That's true spirituality. When I begin to worship God, I'm now moving what I call deep waters. I'm starting to swim in the deep things of God. Here is one. I'm only going to do two. I'm going to do shaka and I'm going to do kara. Here is one very popular term. It's a, it's a Hebrew term for worship. Shaka. The word shaka means to prostrate in worship. In most cases in the West, in, sorry, in the Middle Eastern world, whether it's Islam or Judaism, you will see that much of their worship has to do with bowing or going toward the ground. So it is with their prayer. That's why they're very comfortable with prayer mats. Much of it, in fact, if, if you go right now to a Muslim, uh, what, Muslim temple, you would see that there are no chairs in there. Chairs are for Christians. <laughs> Christians like it comfy. Nothing wrong with chairs, by the way. Please, I don't want anybody to create a new doctrine and say no chairs. Right? But, but you will see that they're very comfortable on the floor. They're very comfortable. You go to the Old Testament, you'll see that much, much of the worship was, it's genuflecting, it's going down, it's prostrating, prostrating before God. That's the term shaka. But let me give you a few thoughts as to why this is important. Here it goes. Come, let us worship, notice, and uh, come, let us shaka and kara before God. Let us kneel, let us become comfortable going down before God. Here's why I think this is important. Watch. Shaka means that worship is exclusive to Jesus. Because we're only commanded to bow before one God. So when you understand that there is exclusivity in worship, but that makes sense, right? Because God is in, a, he's in an exclusive relationship with you. He doesn't want you having relationships with any other beings. So he doesn't want any rivalry. Here's the one time in the Bible that the term jealous is going to be used of God in a productive way. It means that God guards the exclusivity of his Not that God's a little guy and he's insecure. Therefore, no jealousy for God means he guards the exclusivity of the relationship. Because then he is in covenant with you. He keeps covenant. He expects the other party to keep covenant. For thou shalt worship no other God. Notice that. For the Lord whose name is Jealous. Jealous God. So I bow my knees. I prostrate to one God. Watch this. Don't bow to money. And then come and bow to Jesus. Don't bow to people. And then on a worship gathering, come and bow. You are now committing some sort of breach in the covenant. Your bowing, your prostration is only to God. Does that make sense now? Does this make sense? Does the scripture open up for you when people run upon the apostles and begin to bow down? What do the apostles say? Get up. Because your knees are only to be bowed to God. That means we've got to get out of a culture of worshiping people. 
a celebrity culture, a personality culture. We don't worship our pastors. We don't worship our apostles. We don't worship entertainers. We worship him. Even spiritual leaders are in danger sometimes of breaching this when they allow people to go too far in the name of honor. And God begins, he says, wait a minute, isn't that my glory? Doesn't that belong to me? How do people love and run behind you so much, but they won't lift their hands to me? I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Lift your hands, everyone. This is just our pledge. We'll bow our knees to no other God. Don't bow to the God of circumstances. Don't bow to the God of trouble. Only to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. Can I say, till death us do part, God. Are you with me? Till death us do part, God. For God I live. God I die. Oh, my. I felt the Holy Spirit just come like that. Maybe God is whispering that sometimes unbeknownst to, to the, 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 the collective body, many of us are chasing other gods and our hearts are now divided. Our loyalties are elsewhere and it expresses itself now when we worship God. Let's move a little further, ready? Shagah means worship is life altering. Richard, would you say amen to this? Worship is life altering. That means it determines whether I live or die if I worship. That's how serious worship is. Watch, let me show you what. You say, well, pastor, no, that's, that, that's a little. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, that I testify against you this day that you shall surely worship is life altering. It determines whether or not I live or I don't live. Worship is life-altering. It's in him I live, move, and have my, my being. Let's go one, one step further. Shagat means worship is beautiful when it is clean. That's what we're going to do on Wednesday. We're going to talk about the difference between what's unclean, what's unfit, and what's clean, what's fit. You'll find out that, watch, we cannot engage in everything and engage in God's worship. I promise you that. It's, it's beautiful when it's clean. That's why the priests all the time constantly washing, constantly wearing linen to let you know that the worship of God is clean. He's a clean God. And that's why he makes such great provisions for us to be clean. God understands that I, you, us, we make mistakes. He puts all these, uh, which you will, grace mo movements in to say, I need you to be clean when you worship. So make sure you engage this. Make sure you wash. Make sure you confess. Because it's beautiful when it's clean. Watch. It's strange when it's dirty. Did you get that? It's strange. You can find that Leviticus 10. It's strange fire when it's not clean. It's strange. It's still fire, but it's strange to God. 
because it's not clean. First Chronicles 16, 29, give unto the Lord glory. Worship him in the beauty of holiness. I wish if we had the time, Robert, we could teach holiness, not as a whole bunch of do, 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 don't, don't, don't. But there's a beauty because holiness is who God is. There's a beauty to holiness that would make people want to run and say, I want to be holy. There's an uncleanness to sin that should make the believer say, I don't want anything to do with that. Maybe we just need to teach holiness better. I'm, I'm going, I'm going. I, I, I got you. Shaka means worship. I will always come here because you know my heart. Can I tell you what's in my heart? I believe regardless of the problems on the earth, regardless of what's wrong in the body of Christ, what's not right in your house, what's not right in my house, what's not right in the, I believe that one day God is going to set everything in order. And I believe that. It doesn't mean I do nothing. But I do things with a greater sense of wisdom that what I cannot fix, he's got it. One day, worship will be universal. So, uh, 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 Psalm 66 and verse 4. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee and they shall sing unto Jesus. That's his name. All the earth shall do that. My only prayer to God is, I want to be alive when that happens. That's what I ask myself. I want to be around. Keep me alive. I want to be a part of such a global worship experience. Let's move a little further here. The second term, and I'm almost home, is kara. You might have heard this term being used. Sometimes dance ministries will pick up on it. Kara means to bow in worship. Every knee shall bow, bow, bow down and worship. And Robert, I want you to play that until the sermon is over. Kara means worship barks at me and says, down self, down. That's what Kara, it barks at me, says, no flesh shall glory before God. When I think of Kara, I said, get in your place, Oram. Can I show you something else? Kara says, change your attitude. You're in God's presence. Can I go one step further? Kara says, fix your countenance. You're before the king. It barks at you. It reminds you. Watch this. It reminds you that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth silence before him. Listen, Pastor Mikael, this, this, these are my ways. I've always told the body of Christ because I've disciplined myself in my imperfections. That doesn't matter what happens over there, out there, before I get here, you will never know it when worship starts. And I've tried to tell people, don't come into the house of God with an attitude. If you have one, make your way to the altar. Drop it off. Tell God, I'll be back at 12.30 to pick this up. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm, I know I'm teaching because I see it from pulpits. I see it. I see people saying, I'm bringing it before God. I'm going to have an attitude. I'm going to have a sour look. But you're in the presence of God. Let no flesh glory in the presence of God. I know I'm preaching right. Even if you're not saying amen, let your flesh 
do not belong in God's presence. Watch closely. Gara means that worship demands that knees bow. If you don't mind, cameraman, for the rest of the sermon, that's what Gara means. On my knees. I was amazed this morning. I don't think Pastor Brown reads my notes online. Am I right? I don't think he goes online. No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think so. I'm trying to make a point. And in the middle of his worship, I think his second song, he went down on his knees, and I said, "God, all right." And when I came up on the altar, the Holy Spirit said, "This whole service, you have not gone down on your knees." And I went down on my knees because at some point, Kara tells me, "Go down, go down, stand on your feet, everyone." Glory to God! Hallelujah! There comes a time where every knee shall bow. Of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I have a very strange request of the congregation: if you are able, would you bow before God, Richard, Trey, Kayla? Would you come? I know that we're going to sing the blessing, but could you just do just a little bit of this song? And let's be a congregation, a ministry, a body of people that bow before the King. Let it be known that Rima kneels before her Maker. Let it be said of this ministry that they are not high-minded. They're not haughty. They're not lofty. They're not in this thing for themselves. They're not concerned about themselves, but they're only concerned with the glory of the King. Let it be said that this sanctuary is a place where all flesh is silent, and there is a beauty in worship. Do you feel it rising? That's the Spirit of God authenticating the message. That the Holy Ghost saying, "What you heard today has come from the throne of grace." That I need you on your knees. Fight your battles on your knees. Go through your circumstances on your knees. Deal with your mental challenges on your knees, not with medicine. Deal with the demons that are attacking you on your knees. Stay down. I will fight your battles. Glory to God! Stay down, Rama. Vision will come if we're on our knees. The blessing comes when God finds us on our knees. If you're at home watching, everyone in the sanctuary is on their knees. If you're on staff, I don't mean your musicians. You're playing, but you're doing something on staff. Just step out of your chairs. Do the soundboard on your knees. Do the media computer on your knees. Hallelujah to God! Do the streaming broadcast on your knees. Master the sound on your knees. Serve the congregation on your knees. Be an elder on your knees.
Hallelujah. He that abases himself. God said, I will exalt such a one. Hallelujah. 